Dr. Wilma Lamont is a, used to be the chaplain of Duke University's Divinity School, actually of Duke University, and then now he's the Bishop of uh, Alabama, the United Methodist Church. <clears throat> phenomenal writer, phenomenal preacher, listed as one of the uh, 100 most influential preachers in America numerous times. He wrote a book along with Stanley Hauerwas back in the late 80s called Resident Aliens. And in that book he said, uh, something changed the day that the Fox Theater in Greenville, South Carolina, showed movies for the first time on Sunday. It says that our world changed in that moment. Until that point, we had it easy. We were, quote, unquote, a Christian nation. The world abided by our ethic. We didn't have to go very far to find others who not only felt like we did, but believed like we did, and even if they didn't believe like we did, there was a great amount of respect for it. Nobody shopped on Sunday because there was nothing to shop at. There were to shop. No one worked on Sunday because everything was closed. But I'm afraid that possibly during that time of ease, we got soft. We didn't know what it was to stand up and be a Christian because everybody was. We didn't know what it was like to maybe be looked at funny because of our faith because everybody We don't live in that day anymore. But I'm wondering, do we know how to live out our faith in a world like that? Do we need know how to do some faithful living in a faithless world? Because whether you believe it or not, we are no longer a Christian nation. We're a democratic republic with freedom of religion that includes any religion out there. We do have that amazing privilege and opportunity not only to elect our officials, but we have the most amazing opportunity and tool that can ever be given, and that is to pray for our leaders and to pray for our elections, realizing that God's the one that's in control. We'll talk about that as we go along. But over the next few weeks, we're going to immerse ourselves in the, the world of the ancient Babylonians in the 6th century B.C. And how four men lived faithfully in that faithless world. I want to start right at the beginning. Daniel chapter 1. And I want to read these first few verses to you. Daniel chapter 1, uh, it's right there in the psalm before you get to Hosea. Uh, I don't have the, the page number in the blue Bible today. Uh, if you have it electronically, look for D. You know, it's, it's fine. 
bring, bring your tablets, bring your iPhones, I don't care. Have your Bible on it, too. That's where it needs to be. Let me read this to you. During the third year of King Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, sorry, let me start that over. During the third year of King Jehoiakim, let's all say that together. Jehoiakim. I dare somebody to name the next king. I'll go out and get some looks. Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem to besiege it. Before we go on, I'm going to set the stage. Judah and Israel had split. The Davidic kingdom that was united under David and Solomon had split. They got mad at each other. Civil war taking place. Um, Assyria had come and had come basically begun to, to wipe out their northern neighbors, Israel, and now Judah was the only one that was left. And in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, which was a rising power, it wasn't the power yet, but it was a rising power, came, kicked out the Assyrians, and here come the Babylonians, and he besieged Jerusalem. Let's see what happens there. It's an interesting verse. The Lord, that's what your Bible says too, right? The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. And permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. Not, not Nebuchadnezzar's gods allowed this victory. It had nothing to do with that. The God of the universe allowed this to happen. And actually gave them over to King Nebuchadnezzar. And what he did was, he was a very smart guy. He took the most holy objects from the temple. The things that were necessary for worship. The thing, and worship was what defined them as a people. They were a theocracy. They were a God government. And so he removed what made it possible for them to worship. And he took them back with him. Let's keep on going. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. What they did was just round up all the best and the brightest of Judah and took them to Babylon. Uh, if you saw a map right now, if Israel and Judah are here, Babylon is on the other side of the desert. And so he took all the best and the brightest, and the king said, I want the best and the brightest of those to come and be part of my court. He said, select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. No ugly men there. Make sure that they are well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language, very important there, and the literature of Babylon. Then the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were trained for three years, and they would and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. <coughs> the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called. Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called, you know this one, don't we? Shadrach, 
Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Ben-Mediel. What do you do there? Well, you have to know a little bit of Hebrew, and you have to know a little bit of ancient, ancient language as well. So what he did was renamed Daniel, which meant God is my judge, and said, no, you're not going to be called God, El, that God is my judge. You're going to be called El, Belteshazzar, which means Bel, one of their gods, protects my life. You have a new name. And then he went to the next one, Hananiah. Hananiah, you'll no longer be called the Lord, or Yahweh is my grace. No, you'll be called Shadrach, which means command of Apu, and Apu is another one of their gods. And then there was Mishael. Mishael, you'll no longer be called who is God, as in who is God. God, this is our God. Who is God? No, you're going to be called Meshach, which means, who is Aku? And then Azariah, which meant the Lord helps. Be called Abednego, which means servant of Nago, which is another one of Nebuchadnezzar had a plan. And his plan was very systematic. He knew that if he was going to conquer this region, he had to get them to think like he thought. And his plan went like this. First of all, he did this. He had to change your name. Your identity in ancient, the ancient Near East was wrapped up in your name. There was not just a, a tag but it, it kind of said something of your essence. If your name is the Lord is my help, that means that you trust in the Lord to be your help. At least they thought. So the first thing he did was change their names completely by getting rid of any ties, not only to Yahweh, but to who they were before. Let's just change their name. Let's call you something different. It was very interesting if you, if you read history. That's been the, the case of any captivity. First thing that uh, the Jews got when they were interred in a prison camp was a number. And that number was tattooed on their arms. And they were no longer called by names. They were called by numbers. Change your name. Next, we're going to change your diet. We're going to change what you're going to eat. How many of you like trying different kinds of foods? How many of you like to eat those different kinds of foods for every meal? Darby would be the only one who would survive here. <laughs> you know, in Ecuador, I love the food. We go there. It is, uh, we have the privilege of you know, living in that Gabby's grandma's house, and she, she treats us well, and we have a lunch, an amazing lunch every day, and part of that lunch begins with a, with a soup, and you can be there for two and a half weeks, and we can have a different soup every day, and then there's a, a rice and, a, and some kind of wonderful meat and avocados and tomatoes and salad, and then there's a, a dessert, and it's absolutely amazing, but there comes a time about two and a half weeks into this where I just want to stop at McDonald's and get Amber. I want that taste after a while, you know. But it was more than just 
changing their diet, it was changing their beliefs about their diet too, because at the king's table wasn't just kosher. There was pork, there was probably beef and, and meat that was sacrificed to their idols, Aku and Baal and Nego. There was wine that was used in the, the religious ceremonies that would then be given to the king. And so Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been given that food and said, you know, that's no longer your food, this is your food now. And then they changed their language. By the way, you know how much we are tied to our own language? There are many people who say language gives us reality. There are people who write big smart books about this, things like that. Because they realize that our language has to do more than just words. It, it defines our culture. And then one thing Gabby did as a Spanish language teacher was teach culture as well because you never understand language without culture and you can't understand culture without language. So from now on, these four men were not to speak their, their native tongue. They were to speak and learn the new Babylonian tongue because that was not longer their culture. This was their culture. And then they wanted to change their knowledge. I know these are your stories you grew up with by God by the name of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but these are your new stories. And they begin to tell them these new stories and say, forget your old stories. These are your stories. These are your narratives. This is what's going to define who you are from now on. These are your stories. You're going to learn about Nebuchadnezzar and his descendants. You're going to learn about our gods. You're going to learn about our kings because this is now who you are. Because what they ultimately wanted to do was to change their God. Aren't you glad we don't live in 605 Babylon? Because we don't have anybody telling us to change your name. We don't have any pressures on us to change our diet, what we eat, what we consume, how we live our lives. We don't have anybody trying to change our language. We don't have anybody, any forces trying to change our story, our knowledge. We don't have anybody trying to change our God. Or do we? The more I read these stories, the more I realize that we're not very far from the time of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. So what do we do? We bemoan that fact and we long for the days where the Fox Theater would close on Sunday. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that day's never coming back. Daniel. He never calls himself Belshazzar. 
set at not Monica as, as him. That's not who he is. He's Daniel. He's God's. He's not Bell's. He's Daniel. He remembered who he was. That's why we do this every Sunday. You know that? Because we were reminded who we are every Sunday. We're reminded that we're redeemed. That we, we have our sins forgiven. We remember that we're different than the world out there that who hasn't experienced that. We remember that we serve a God who not only created the world, but who's alive and active in this world. We remember that we have a God who has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. We remember that we're called to be servants, even to those who don't know him and love him. We remember who we are. We're reminded of that. But then he, he reminds us that, you know, once a week isn't enough, so take your Bibles home and remind, be reminded who you are daily through reading the scriptures. Be reminded of that. Remember your name. I love how in scripture there's a pattern of when God saves you, he gives you a name. You are no longer the one who seeks after your own desires and heart. You are now the one who seeks the heart of God. You re Daniel remembered his name. Never forgot it. That wasn't it, though. That defined how he was going to re react to the rest of the things that were laid before him. He was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And so he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat the unacceptable foods. Can you imagine the spread? I've never been at a royal banquet table. But I can imagine it was pretty tempting. Remember uh, Beauty and the Beast? I can imagine Lumiere's there. And I don't think there's like forks or dancing or anything like that. Uh, but George's Beauty and the Beast, come to my house and show it to you. Uh, but it's an amazing feast. What kind of captivity is that? So they changed my name. Look at, the, look at the goods. I've never had it. Even back in Israel, as part of the royal family, we didn't have stuff like this. We didn't have food like this. We didn't have the delicacies like this. We didn't have all of this. Did you know that many of the pressures on the world seem to be very, very good? There are things out there that call us and they seem to be very, very, very good. And everybody says, this is amazing. Why don't you jump in with us? You don't know what you're missing. And then we remember our names. And we remember, oh yeah, that's not for us. God's not called us to be people who are defined by our appetites and desires. We're defined by our name. That's the one we give us. So you know what Daniel said? Crazy thing. He says, is it okay that he has permission? If me and my buddies here, we don't drink your wine, and we don't eat off your fancy silver platters, the meat, just give us some water and some vegetables. No big deal there, right? 
except that the guy who was in charge of them freaked out. And he said, you don't know my king. You will get to know him pretty quickly, but you don't know him now. And if he finds out that I haven't been feeding you and, and you get sick and die on him, I'm dead. And Daniel said, just trust me here. Give us ten days. Ten days to do it our way. Ten days for us to honor God. Ten days of us not being squeezed into what you expect us to be because that's not who we are. Give us ten days of that. Ten days. You know what? Not only did they remember the name, but God honored their faithfulness. It is so easy to give in to the temptations of the world. But God honors us when we're faithful. Look what happened. Let's go on to verse 15. It says this. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends, they looked healthier and better nourished than the young man who had been eating the food assigned to the king from that table. Now, there are many who would say, you know, let's take the Daniel diet. We all want to be healthy, and they've done that. But, you know, I think there was some supernatural stuff going on there as well. God said to them, you know, if you're going to do this, I'm going to honor you. You are going to be healthier because of this. You're going to have my grace all over you for this for these, these, these days. You're going to experience me because you've been faithful. And so they were rejected and ridiculed because of it. You're not eating this food, you big weirdo. No. Their faithfulness actually hurt the respect of their captors. Verse 16, so after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and the wine they provided the others. He said, you're not touching the meat now. <laughs> you know, I don't get you, but I respect you. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to eat this good stuff, because it's amazing, but I respect you. I don't understand your lines, but I respect that you have them and that you're not going to cross them. I wonder if sometimes the ridicule that we get as Christians is because we've drawn line after line after line and then just run back past it. But they don't even matter. He earned, they earned the respect of those who didn't even believe in their God. And then, God was able to use them because they were faithful. God was able to use them because they didn't give in to the temptations. God was able to use them because they didn't allow themselves to be squeezed by the world around them. God was able to use them because they were set apart for Him to be used. If you go back to the utensils that were used in the, the temple that Nebuchadnezzar stole, say you had a pair of tongs made out of gold. They looked just like the ones I have in the barbecue except for gold. But I couldn't take them home and use them for the barbecue. They were set apart only for the purpose of being used in the, the rituals of the sacrifices. They were holy. The minute they, somebody took them home to be used in the barbecue, they had to be destroyed. They were no longer useful for God's purposes. 
He couldn't use them any longer because they weren't holy. Now, if they had a nick on them, would they still be holy as long as they were being used for the purposes in the, the temple? Holy doesn't mean perfect as in flawless. Holy means perfect as in being used for the purposes for which it was made. And Daniel and his friends were being used for the purposes for which they were made. They were, remained set apart. Even in a world where nobody else got them, in a world where nobody else understood how they thought, in a world where everybody looked on them and said, they are weird. They remained set apart and holy. And God was able to use them because of them. How did he use them? It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Read verse 17. God gave them, these four young men, an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings and visions of the dreams. God gave them the ability to understand and to learn all about the Babylonian culture. You know, I think because he knew that they would never forget who they were. But he gave them this amazing ability to learn far beyond anybody else who went with them. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the test. Three years are up. They've been living differently than everybody else. Would the king be able to know? Well, the king could tell. King talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. And whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the, his entire kingdom. God was able to use these four guys in an amazing way because they didn't compromise who they were. You know, I think we've begun to think that we have to compromise in order to have influence. But God can use us when we truly are holy. God can use us when we're set apart for His purposes. And you know what? It very well may be that you can have influence way beyond what you ever thought you could imagine. Because you were faithful. God says, I can put this person in leadership. Because I know who they are. And I know that they know who they are. And I can use them. You know, God can use you in your place of work. If you know who you are. God can use you in your place of work if you know who you are. It may even be that God can, like he did for Asphaz, help them to look at you and say, wow, that guy, I respect them. I don't understand them, but I respect them. And it may be that because you know who you are, that you, you work hard, you do your best, you try, you have a great work ethic, and people notice it. 
think I should do here? What an amazing privilege. To give me the ability to give advice to people who make decisions because they see you make the decisions. And you know why you're making big decisions? Because you haven't compromised. Why haven't you compromised? Because you know who you are. Amen. Who are you? Are you the name that everybody calls you? Doctor, engineer, x-ray guy, pharmacist, computer guy, teacher, student, loser. Are you that person or are you redeemed? That's how you begin to learn to live faithfully in a faithless world. Over the next five weeks, we're going to really delve into this. I encourage you, if you if you'd like, read the next few chapters. We're going to go through chapter six uh, of Daniel. Read through those, get to know some of the stories. Maybe reading them for the first time, other than just hearing them, uh, having them be told to you. Eventually, we're going to get to the to the lion's den. One of my favorite stories. In but I want to pray for you. Won't you stand? Let's pray again. Lord, I am grateful for the examples we have in Daniel and his friends. And I pray right now that you would help each one of us to remember who we are in you. To remember the name that you've given us. To not take on the names that the world gives us. To not be influenced by what the delicacies that are on the table. Even though they're good, as a reminder, not everything is beneficial. Help us not to compromise not only in sin, but let's not compromise our convictions either, our values. But help us to be, to truly understand that if we stray and stay true, that we can have amazing influence at least in the world we're living in now. I think that's the way we're going to change the world. Not with placards, not with speeches, but with the way we live our lives. That's the only way we are going to change the world. Is if we live our lives as holy instruments for your purpose. So make us holy once again. Give you permission to use us as we remain faithful to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Before you go, I want to let you know that we've taken off some new group uh, groups today. Uh, room 105, Pastor Bob, they're continuing in, in the book of John. Uh, 104 is in Hebrews. 103 is the Life Lives class with, with George and 
what's the? The, the quarterly, but what is it? What, what, what passage is it this week? Oh, don't go to his. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then uh, Jamie's beginning a new class in my office that's going to uh, focus on our younger, younger adults. Uh, called, we still call I Am Second. Fellowship uh, Hall is still the, the shack, and 100, we're talking about who Christ is. Pick a grow group, stay, don't go anywhere. And as you get ready to go into grow groups, may you experience his grace and peace, and may you be faithful in this faithless world that we live in. Thank you for worshiping with us.